So at this time, we're uh, going to be blessed to have our first message brought to us by Mr. Mark McGarvey, entitled, The Love of God Versus Hatred. Okay, there we go, that's better. Well, yeah, good afternoon. I'm, hope, I'm, I'm glad uh, we dodged that bullet with this uh, storm that never came. That's Oklahoma, right? Wait five minutes and the weather will change. And, uh, wow, what a dramatic change. <laughs> From three to six inches to zilch. That, that is right, absolutely. He runs the show. So at the start of my message, I, here I've got to mention that what got the ball rolling um, on this split sermon is actually the message Curtis gave a few weeks ago um, on uh, where he talked about Jesus and the broken and, and the mental health situation. It got me thinking about uh, an idea that I'd had about what I was going to speak about. So thank you, Curtis. Good message that time and gave me a couple of ideas. Um, but first of all, like, I want to talk about the civility on display at um, George H.W. Bush's funeral this past week, um, especially the big one on, I believe it was Wednesday, they had in Washington, D.C., um, when all the, uh, the former presidents were there, Jimmy Carter, uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, obviously, and uh, Barack Obama. And all together and all polite and, and everything looking good. And Trump himself uh, showed up too. Um, but more the uh, other politicians and world leaders, his friends and the general public, it seemed like he was a great man, an honorable man. Um, I was young. I was, I was a teenager when he became president in 88 after Reagan. But I remember him. And I remember the Gulf War and everything. Um, seemed like a nice guy. And from everything what people were talking about, um, I remember the, the word that kept getting replayed was kindness. So he seemed like a really nice guy and uh, kind-hearted. Um, but by all accounts, um, his presidency, although it was one term, he did a lot of things, important things, and uh, just lost to Bill Clinton in night too. So. But it's a shame we don't see more of that civility that was there on display that day, um, more in the political scene um, and the interaction of world leaders. It was there, and it's, it's unfortunate that it, you know, the country comes together for the big occasions like the death of a president, the funeral of a president. Um, and like after 9-11, uh, we really came together as a country that time. I remember that. And again, I was overseas uh, in Britain. Me and Dollar had got married just uh, two months before 9-11. Uh, so we were in England at the time. But of course, it was a massive world event. Um, and it, it was awesome, incredible, and nice, good to see that the country came together after such a tragic, massive event as 9-11. Um, and like I said, it's just a shame we can't do this more often. So 
the last four or five years, there's been a lot of shouting going on, a lot of mudslinging, and it's really gotten bad the last two years since President Trump was elected. Um, after a while, people just tune out. Um, people get fed up with the name calling, the blame game. And as Christians, we get used to this. We have done for decades. We get called bigots. We get called homophobes and, and so on and so on for our beliefs. We get called names for staying true to the word of God. And that's the way it's always been as Christians in this world. Um, for holding on to our values and principles um, and trying to emulate Jesus, the world marginalizes us and sows the seeds of hatred. And believe me, there is a lot of anti-Christian hatred out there in 2018. And unfortunately, as it stands, I don't see how it's going to end anytime soon or when it ends. I mean, at least, at least in this current political climate, and, uh, you know, up, run up to the next general election, 2020. Um, it really is sad, and it's, people just tune out to it. I certainly have. You, you almost don't want to watch the, the world news anymore because of the shenanigans that are going on, it seems like. So in this current situation we have in our country where there's division, um, the PC police are out, some people get offended at the craziest things. Where do we fit in? Can we, as responsible Christians, take a step back from all the noise, um, all the clamor, for want of a better word, and let our light shine? Now, how do we be an example to others? And this is an important part. I want to. I want to thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is an important point I want to make though today, and this, is, this ties in the whole message. This is not optional, optional or multiple choice, what we're doing, why we're here. We have to preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel. That's what we're here to do. That's why we're here. We have to preach and talk about how Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life. And talk about how we have to repent and cast off our old self and accept Christ as our Savior. And one of the most famous scriptures of all time, uh, John 3.16, says that, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. So what do I mean when I say God's love versus hatred? We need to look, we need to look at our almighty creator and our older brother, Jesus Christ. Look at his words. Look at the words he inspired the writers of the Bible to make. Look at the example. Look at how he lived his life, being filled with the Holy Spirit as he was, like nobody else ever had been. Filled with a powerful love for all humankind. He was able to fend off that hatred at every turn, and it was at every turn wherever he went. He had the Jewish authorities after him. So he had those, those people after him, the scribes and the Pharisees. The Romans had to keep an eye on him. Um, the loyal zealots were out there watching him, hoping that he would help their side and rise up and fight the Romans like they thought the Messiah was going to do. Um, 
And of course, Satan was there as the ringleader of all that, uh, trying to tempt him, deceive him, and generally stop everything he did. So let's turn with that in mind to our first scripture here. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. 1 John 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I've got a little excerpt here in my study Bible about this one particular verse, 1 John 5 uh, and verse 3. Quote, The love of God demands obedience. However, rather than being burdensome, God's commands free believers to be the people they were originally created to be, holy beings who clearly reflect the image of God. End quote. And then a scripture that ties into this, we need to read that too at the same time, John 14 and verse 15. John chapter 14 and verse 15. This ties into that last verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. So, by keeping his commandments, obeying him, that makes us better ambassadors for Christ, doesn't it? If we have a zeal for God's way of life, and if we want to be more complete, we must follow his commandments. Following God's path can be difficult. That is true. Very difficult. It's narrow and tricky. Um, but, and filled with surprises and unseen catastrophe. But it is rewarding. So how is godly love different than regular love or human love? Well, human love, you know, um, love between a man and a wife, um, love between a father and son, father and daughter, mother and son, mother and daughter, um, grandparents, um, and generally family members, those we hold dear, and also good friends. This is how human love is generally portrayed. But godly love is so much more vast and in many ways uh, beyond our comprehension. What I'm saying today can't do it justice, and it never will. What any of us say can't do justice to the supreme and almighty love of God. Because it is, it is supreme, it is unconditional, it's unending, everlasting, unshakable, and there are hundreds of other superlatives you could, you could, uh, that can be said. And then if you contrast that with if human beings were in control of who was being saved or called, wouldn't it be a different story? Um, Yes, everyone can be saved except the Germans. We don't like the Germans. Or everyone can be saved except those from Venezuela. Everyone else is good. Everyone else can be saved except them. We don't want to save them. Okay? But everyone else is good. You know, God sent his only begotten son to save everyone in the world. 
No exceptions. So that's the difference right there between God's nature and man's nature. So let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 and uh, verses 7 through 11 now on this one. And, and the, you know, 1 John, book of John itself, are, very, are great uh, instruments and tools for um, speaking about the love of God. But First uh, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now here in verse 8, it doesn't say God displays love or God shows love. No, God is love. See? God exudes love. He is full of love. God is love. So Jesus Christ sacrificed when he gave his life to save us, to save ours, should give us confidence, give us hope. More importantly, with Christ living in us, there's no room for hatred. There's no way for it to find its way into us, with Christ living in us. For that small seed of hatred to burrow in, uh, to burrow its way in, no, up against the spirit of Christ, hatred hits a brick wall. It's as simple as that. Hatred will hit a brick wall every time it comes up against the spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to go back to the book of Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Ephesians 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and verse 32 and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you as Paul says here put that all away from us be kind to one another show the power that love has over anger bitterness hatred you know every once in a while you hear stories of people who um, who were murderers in prison giving their life to Jesus or asking for forgiveness looking to him for salvation and it's, it's good to hear those stories sometimes I, I get skeptical wonder how much of it is true but um, it's good to hear it and when you, you hear a, a genuine story you, you can you can kind of tell from the body language or what the person says. But I, I found this one story, um, which was amazing, but um, it's the jihadi who turned to Jesus, as he calls himself. But I just want to read some excerpts from this story because it really is uh, something. 
This, this is from uh, the New York Times where they interviewed this guy. Um, this is in uh, Istanbul uh, a year and a half ago. When 22 Christian refugees gathered in the basement of an apartment in Istanbul early on a recent Sunday afternoon, it was quickly clear that this was no ordinary prayer meeting. Several of them, several of them had Islamic names. There was an Abdul Rahman and even a couple of Muhammads. Strangest of all, they jokingly referred to their host, one of the two Muhammads, as an Irharbi A terrorist. If Bashir Muhammad took the joke well, it was because there was once some truth to it. Today, Mr. Muhammad, 25, has a cross on his wall and invites other recent converts to weekly Bible readings in his purple-walled living room. Less than four years ago, however, he says he fought on the front lines of the Syrian civil war for the Nazareth Front, an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. He is, as he says, a jihadi who turned to Jesus. It is a transition that has surprised everyone, not least of all himself. Four years ago, Mr. Muhammad tells me, frankly, I would have slaughtered anyone who suggested it. Not only have his beliefs changed, but his temperament has too. Today, his wife, Hevin Rashid, confirms with a hint of understatement that he is much better to be around. Right? Um, the conversion of Muslim refugees to Christianity is not a new phenomenon, particularly in majority Christian countries. Converts stand, sometimes stand accused of trying to enhance their chances of asylum by making it dangerous to deport them back to places with a history of Islamist persecution. But what he witnessed, what he uh, partook in, the slaughter of, of many Syrians and the killing, he was a terrorist. Um, it never fazed him. He believed that he was doing the right thing. And, uh, but what changed his story is a situation that happened three or four years ago, about a year after this. Let me find this. This is uh, important to mention this. So back at the, the front where he was fighting, Mr. Muhammad finally began to question Nasra's motives because his people were killing uh, just like the Syrian government was killing, and he couldn't, he couldn't make any difference. Disenchanted, he risked execution himself by deserting Nasra and returning home to Afrin, which is the area he was living in. And he said he saw Muslims killing other Muslims, and he realized there was something wrong. But the next year, he and his wife fled the war entirely, leaving for Istanbul and joining around two and a half million other Syrians in exile in Turkey. Still a zealous Muslim, Mr. Muhammad prayed so loudly that his upstairs neighbors complained. But then, <clears throat> in early 2015, his wife, Miss Rashid, fell seriously ill. As her health worsened, Mr. Muhammad described her condition in a phone call with his cousin, Ahmed, 
The same cousin who had taken him to jihadist lectures as a teenager. Ahmed was now living in Canada, and a move that shocked Mr. Muhammad had converted to Christianity. An enthusiastic convert, Ahmed asked Mr. Muhammad to place his telephone close to Miss Rashid. She was deathly sick, ill on her bed, so that his cousin's prayer group could sing and pray for her health. Horrified, Mr. Muhammad initially refused, since he had been taught to hate Christianity and to find it repellent. But he was also desperate, and eventually he gave in. When Miss Rashid improved within a few days, Mr. Muhammad ascribed it to his cousin's intervention. Intrigued, he then began to entertain a sacrilegious thought. He asked his cousin to recommend a Christian preacher in Istanbul who might introduce him to the religion. He was put in touch with Imid Brim, a missionary from an evangelical group based in Jordan called the Good Shepherd, who agreed to meet with him. Anyway, so it was an amazing story how it took his wife's serious illness for him to have a change of mind and to see God work improving the health. And just to conclude the story here, um, yeah, there's a big gap between the God I used to worship, he said, and the one I worship now. He used to worship in fear. Now everything has changed. <clears throat> I trust, he says, in God. So, uh, I, may, I may have gone on a bit long there, but I just wanted to bring that story to, to show you the example of how someone who is filled with extreme anti-Christian hate, I mean, you don't get much more, much worse right now in the world than the fundamentalist extremist uh, Muslims who uh, just love to kill Christians and anybody who is against them. And to hear a story like that, somebody clearly has changed. It is good to hear. An amazing story. God calls who he wants. Murderers, terrorists, it doesn't matter. His love for every human being, the fact that he wants everyone to have a chance, as it says in 2 Peter 3.9, that none should perish, is a way his love overpowers the hatred in this world. I'm going to turn back to the book of John here. And look at uh, John chapter 15 and verses 9 through 17. John 15. John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. As the Father loved Jesus, Jesus then shares that incredible love with us, that amazing love of God. That is beyond words that I mentioned earlier. He freely gives that to us. We don't pay for it. It's priceless. God the Father and God the Son love us as their children, and one day we will join them in the God family, in the kingdom and beyond. And as Jesus says in verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. It's a tall order sometimes, I know. But with the Holy Spirit, we can do this. There was an interesting quote the other day at the George H.W. Bush funeral, like I talked about earlier, uh, from <clears throat> a Senator Simpson, <clears throat> who um, I guess the former President Bush had asked to speak at his funeral because the Senator, it was a very funny message. It was, it was a laugh a minute, really. The guy's very funny. But actually, this is one quote that he gave which I believe um, was either from his mother or uh, George H.W. Bush's mother. But anyway, the quote was, uh, hatred corrodes the container it's held in. And I thought, you know what? Yeah. How true that is. Hatred corrodes the container it's held in. Fitting statement for today in some ways. When God's love goes up against hatred, there's only one winner. Trust and belief in our God will thicken our skin. Hatred will not penetrate. So I want to conclude with Isaiah, book of Isaiah 43 and verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. <clears throat>